each of these interviews becomes my favorite as I'm doing them, but this one, this one was good. This is Mike McCurry Live number 18 with my brother-in-law, Austin Marriott, assistant pastor, youth pastor at the First Baptist Church of Dwight in Dwight, Illinois. He gets in-depth about his amazing adoption story and how good God is. It was a blessing to me. Hope it's the same for you. Two and one. We are live. Mike and McCurry live, number 18, with my brother-in-law, Austin Marriott, assistant pastor at the First Baptist Church of Dwight in Dwight, Illinois. Uh, the first question I always ask, in just a second, is 50 to 100 words. Tell us who you are. But first, I appreciate those that are tuning in, those that will tune in, and I greatly appreciate it. Just a quick, um, I guess, administration thing. The uh, podcast. I've been calling it a podcast and it was never really a podcast because I think by the definition, because it was never anywhere in audio form. It was just this. And so it's finally live on Apple podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, tune in, uh, Google play, all those places, not all of them yet. There's only like three live currently, but so if you like, listen to the audio version, it just takes a little while to edit them and all that stuff. So if you like to listen to audio version, you can do that, but we're live with Austin Marriott here. Could you give us a quick introduction to who you are? Sure. Uh, 50 to 100 words or less. I don't know if I've... Everybody everybody goes over, mm-hmm. except for the people that give, like, just say, I'm John Doe, and I work at, and they go under. So you, you, you feel free. Take your time. Okay. 50 to 100 words. Well, yes, my name is Austin Marriott. Uh, like Micah said, uh, I am the youth pastor at First Baptist Church in Dwight, Illinois. I've uh, been in ministry since I was 16 years old, and... Uh, pretty much ministry is all I've ever known. Um, and I thank the Lord for that, for giving me that opportunity. Uh, married to my wife, Rachel. We'll be married for 11 years in uh, coming up in June. Uh, we have two kids. Uh, Adelaide is my oldest. She's five years old, and I'll be six in July. And then Lemuel, uh, my son, and he is uh, going to be two in May. And uh, so the Lord has really blessed me, and I'm very uh, excited to be on with you today, and um, but that is, I think, hopefully less than 100 words. It, it's okay. all right. One of the great things about, um, well, you know, you, you always you love family. You should love family, but it's always nice. <laughs> it's so. always nice. It's always nice though when you get along with family, and that's that's, that's a, true. That's you a can blessing. love them, but you don't necessarily have to get along with right. them. Right, and you you'd always like mm-hmm. them. But I can say, at least from my side, I, I, won't, I won't ask. <laughs> I won't ask from your side, but at least from my side. We've always um, um, we've taken vacations together as families sometimes do, but we've always had a good time. Um, maybe it's because you always win at golf. Maybe that's why you always have a good time. But uh, we have a we have a good time together, and so that's a blessing. I appreciate him coming on. Um, I, I'm going to kind of go a different direction. We're going to just dive right into some questions, and we we'll, want to get to. Well, hold on, before we get into that question, I have to go ahead. Yeah, this this one question that I must ask because it's been bothering me ever since I've watched the last 17, uh, uh, whatever these are called, not podcasts, yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, wh- why the countdown and why the 10 seconds before uh, we start talking? So um, in 50 or 100 words. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't want people <laughs> to do that. Don't put me on the spot like that, man. Um, so for those that don't no, we do a quick little pre-interview beforehand just to make sure everything's working correctly. Uh, and then we all tell the people, we're going to go 10 seconds of radio silence, and then I'm going to do a 10-second 10 10 countdown. 
the reason for the 10 second countdown that you hear is because I'm using a system that lets me go live to multiple, it restreams it to multiple places all at once. And all of them have like a different buffering time. Some jump on like immediately when you click, some actually like backdate it like 10 seconds, some like wait a few seconds. So we're mm. live on Twitch, two Facebook pages, uh, my, my Facebook page, Mike McCurry, and then Mike McCurry Live the, for the for the actual podcast, or whatever, um, on Periscope, which also streams to Twitter at the same time, and YouTube all at once. And so when I click that, it just kind of gives me that buffer time. Now, I am kind of cutting out some in the actual podcast, the audio form. So most of them, you're just going to hear like three, two, one, and go. Um, or it just fades in from three on three, two, one. But that's the answer. Because technically, I, I don't want to. I don't want to cut off. Um, you know. You know. Number eighteen with. You know. Right. Austin Marriott, and so that kind of. <clears throat> I was hoping to get your cool intro that I heard. Uh, I got an alert that you had got it set up, and then I was yeah. hoping to, to get your intro there, but I didn't get to hear it on the. Yeah, on the, 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 the intro music. Yeah. So, yeah, so that, that that's sweet. a very cool story. That's a very pretty, cool story. I, I mean, this is your this is your interview. Can I share that story on your interview? Sure. All right, all right. I'll take some time. It's all right. So, um, did you? Are you familiar with? I ask you. Are you familiar with Brother Byron Fox, Evangelist Byron Fox? Vaguely, no. Okay. I know the name, but that's so, about it. And that, that's one of the coolest things that, uh, for me, I think about doing these interviews and things is introducing people. You, you were. I, I did that quick poll as you know. How many of you have listened to uh, know like eight or more of these people? Right. And at, at that point, it was like. 13 so it was a little over half and like only 25 percent of the people knew maybe it's a third but anyway i'm um, so it was cool i think it's cool to be able to introduce people to some good independent fun oh, yeah. guys um and brother fox is he's already t- told me he, that he's going to be on I, I invited him uh but he's an evangelist um he he does a lot of things bible truth music if you're familiar with oh yeah, yeah yeah okay um, yes so he's the guy that heads that up bible truth the, the hymnal um, they put out a lot of good music. He just cut two CDs with a faith music with Brother Chamberlain and Ed Russ and all them. Um, good singer, great choir director, Bruce great all around the music. Anyway, so we have this God Bless America rally coming up in May of 2019 uh, here in the Stark County, Akron, Canton area. Yeah. And I'm, I'm one of the social media for it. And so I, I we had some a meeting, um, an admin type thing. And Brother Fox wasn't able to be there. And so I texted him like this is at nine o'clock at night and said, hey, Brother Fox, just have a quick question for you before I post something. Want to get your permission? And I said, I said, you know, if you can't call tonight, that's fine. Tomorrow's great. So he calls me like that night, 930. And um, he, he's <clears throat> just the most personable guy. And so we're talking and we don't get off the phone till close to 10 because I asked the question and he's just chat, he chatting and, and giving me some of his time. And he told me, yeah. and hopefully I'm not, I'm not giving out too much detail with the Fox if you're watching. Um, but he said, I'm just sitting here watching Bonanza. And so I, I mean, talking, <laughs> talking to you is just as good as that, I guess. Um, and so, uh, but anyway, Man, so last, rank with Bonanza. I, I know, right? Pretty good. Classic. And so I, um, I, I asked him because I've been trying to find, and you know how difficult this is doing oh, yeah. radio, finding good intro outro music, and this is not secular in nature, and so something with a heavy beat is right. out the window, and so finding anything besides elevator music is just so hard, and, and it costs money. It's not much, you know, twenty five thirty bucks, but if I found the perfect one, that'd be great. Anyway, so I asked him with your experience in music, where should I find? good music like that right and and so we talked about it for a second and then he said you know what let me uh 
basically he said, let me call Glenn. That's Glenn Christensen. And if you know who that is, that's his name is probably in the top right-hand corner of a lot of the music that we sing. Um, he composes a, a lot of music. And uh, let me see if he can make some for you. And I was like, okay. I, I was super <laughs> taken aback because I was like, I wasn't asking you to do that. Right, I, I, yeah. know, I, I assume they have that capability, obviously. But right. um, so anyway, I get a text at 1130 that night. <laughs> and he said, I call I called Glenn. We've been sitting in the studio <clears throat> and I couldn't fall asleep. So I, was, I just started making it for you. He called me the next morning and said, I just emailed over the opening closing for you. Right. And he stayed up basically all night making. Now, understand. <laughs> This is a man who he, he had, he was preaching that Saturday. It was this Friday night. He was preaching that day or had some kind of choir seminar or something. And he stayed up all night to make an opening. Now I'm not saying don't just call him, say, Hey, can you make me podcast? Because <laughs> he's not going to do it for anybody. But somehow I ranked and it was, and, and the, the awesome. And he, and he said that brother, and you have to know about the Fox. He's so personal. If you don't like it, it's not a problem, whatever, you know, I'm thinking, how can I say no? But, but, and, and if you watch it, I, I, it was like exactly what I was looking for. It has that kind of cinematic, not like the Pirates of Caribbean type, you know, because that's, and that's way too, um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Everyone, everyone knows that, but has that right. feel to it. Um, and so anyway, that, that's the story. Now, now that's let's get neat. to you because awesome. this is, this is not, yeah, it's just a cool story. So anyway, so where was I going? Oh, the question I was, I was about to ask before is rudely interrupted with your 10-second question, 10-second <laughs> countdown question. Um, just because I'm curious, a quote that I've used of yours that may, may or may not be yours, uh, no, I mean, dozens, if not a hundred something times, you preached at the um, Northwest Youth Conference, uh, maybe three, four, maybe five years ago. I'm not sure how long ago that was. And you said, some of you, the fact, I may be paraphrasing, you said, the decision to follow Christ cannot be made as a group. And that, for some reason, that stuck with me. Um, I took our teens to camp the very next, um, like, three, four weeks after that, maybe. Um, and I used it. I've used it numerous times. I'm curious, where, just for me personally, where did you get that quote from? Or is it yours? I, I don't know if I could claim it or not, because it, it sounds too good. I'm, I'm sure I got it from somewhere. Um, I honestly don't even remember. Uh, okay. like, you said, like you said, that was quite a few years ago. Um, but, but the truth, you know, a lot of times, you know, different quote, I mean, I, I, my guess is a lot of the stuff that I use, a lot of quotes that I use, I get from Spurgeon. I just absolutely love him. Um, I love how I, I, the way that I say it is he eloquently makes you feel like an inch tall. Uh, he'll he'll just use the most eloquent of words, but just cut you to pieces. And I love it. I just, I love the the way that he writes. And, um, but, uh, but really, you know, truth is truth, you know, Mm -hmm. whether it comes from, you know, me, nobody, or, you know, someone like Spurgeon who's, you know, changed millions of lives. Um, And the truth of that statement is so true that it is not, a group decision. Um, yes, when you're in a group setting and you have a group of people who are on fire for God and, you know, in, in the instance of a youth group, um, when you have a, a group that is all on the same page, y- you can do some amazing things. I mean, you look at, you know, in, in Acts when they were in all in one accord, you know, mm-hmm. what happened? They, they turned the world upside down. Um, but it doesn't take a group, you know, and you look at all the, 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 the major, you know, a many of, 
you know, I don't want to say all, I don't want to be, use all inclusive words, but many of the major revivals that have taken place through history, it started with one or two people. Uh, it wasn't a group. Uh, it was, you know, one or two people getting on their knees and begging God. Um, and that decision is something that you have to decide on your own. And uh, yeah, it's, you know, it's a great, great thought. I don't remember well, where hey, I got it from, but I'm glad it, I'm glad it impacted you five or six. Two thumbs up. No, I, I, I've used it in the one or two, <clears throat> I think preached at uh, camp uh, two years after that. I use it there. I've used it with our team group many, many times. Um, and I've, I've said, you know, I would love if I could just tie you all together and all the pastors in the room, all the youth pastors in the room could just drag you to God's will, but we can't. Yeah. And, and that would be, that would be easier, even though that'd be a physically such a strength, that would be easier than getting some people. But in thought ahead when you were saying, you know, in one accord and you see youth groups where everyone's on fire, it's sore, sore, it seems. And somehow someone slips through the cracks, even from those, the most spiritual youth groups you have right. those. Um, so even when the group is all going, you still have, have that deal. But now I love the quote. I was just curious for myself. Um, I'll Google it. I'll tell you. <laughs> Sounds good. And if you, if you if Google can't tell you, we we'll just have to put a little asterisk on Samaria. There you go. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Prove you wrong. Exactly. And so you are like you only have like nine hundred ninety nine more quotes to go before you can write uh, you know a quote book from Austin Marriott, and you'll right. it'll be good to go. Um, so you've been in ministry, and you may have said during the intro, but how, how long have you been in ministry now? Uh, I started um, working on staff at Northwest Bible Baptist Church. Uh, I was either 15 or 16 years old. It was the going into my junior year in high school, um, the end of my sophomore year, start of my junior year. Uh, so that would have been 2002. Okay. Wow. Yeah. 2002. No. Yeah. 2002. Um, so what's that? 17 years. Nice. And, um, so started there in high school, uh, went to college at Providence Baptist College, um, worked, transitioned after a year sabbatical that we won't get into, um, but <laughs> went to, uh, came back on staff at Providence and uh, worked there. And then uh, we transitioned out to Iowa, worked at uh, Twin Pines Baptist Church in uh, Cedar Rapids, which they're now in Robbins, Iowa, but worked there for several years as youth pastor. And then uh, felt the Lord uh, wanted us to move to Dwight. And uh, so we did that. We've been here uh, coming on now. I think it's almost been, uh, we're in our fifth year now. Fourth, fourth yeah. fifth so year. as I say, you guys came there the like the month or two right after or right before, fo- right before or after football camp that we moved right. here. And yeah, so we're pushing five years too. Very yeah. good. Yeah, so we'll come um, up on our fifth year. Now, and, and we, we might get into this, but it, it does factor in. How long has your dad been working there at Northwest? Um, well, he started at Northwest in 89. Um, okay. he, before that, he worked at Central Baptist Church in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Okay. Um, he was, so he's been on staff or working in some sort of capacity at a church since he was about probably 15 or 16 years old as well. Very um, nice. so not 17 years, quite, quite a few more, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, he's, he's been in ministry his whole life exactly. as well. I, I put that little question out about who I, uh, some other names I should have on and somebody, I think two people might have even put Stacy Marriott. And so I was thinking, yeah, that would be, and that's one, again, I think we talked about one of the cool things about, there are so many people that it's not, I don't you understand, you know, I'm saying that, not saying this disparagingly, but they're never going to have their name up on a marquee, but man, right. they, they have just served God. 
they have just right. done and, and talk about you know just keeping the buses rolling. I mean, how many how many young men and women from the Chicagoland you know Elgin area are going to be yeah. chalked up on Stacey Marriott's account uh, yeah. because of what he's done? And we can get, we can get get into that. And I, I think we will a little bit later on. But you have, and we probably spend maybe the majority of the, of the time here, but you have a pretty cool story that's kind of unfolded over the last how long how long ago did it be ping on your radar um and maybe even all the way back to as a young child when did all all that you kind of unfolded for us okay um so it all the the unfolding of it really started uh really just about two two or three months before uh, rachel and i got married um and so that would have been in 2008 uh, it was right. It was about two or three months after uh, my mom had passed away and um, she passed away in January, 2008. And then uh, in May, June timeframe, uh, we got married in the end of June, but April, May, somewhere in there. Um, uh, my dad uh, had the contact information for my biological mother. Uh, those of you that don't know, uh, I'm adopted and I was adopted when I was 18 hours old. My, my parents, uh, Stacy and Carol Marriott, uh, came to the hospital in Arkansas, um, picked me up from the hospital, uh, took me back to Baton Rouge. Uh, my sister Sharon uh, uh, Marriott, or Ballesteros now, uh, is also adopted. Uh, she's two and a half years older than me, um, but she was adopted. We're not biologically related at all. You'd never know that growing up. Uh, size is the only thing that makes us look different. Uh, both have blonde hair and uh, just we looked like twins when we were little. And then I started growing and she just stayed the same. And, um, but, but uh, we're both adopted. And, um, you know, let me back up just a little bit before we get into like the unfolding sure. of it. So, um, you know, I, looking back, I tell people I, I I don't remember a time. My dad might be able to tell you when it was, but really, I don't remember a time where, you know, we got home from school or church saying, you know, my parents said, hey, you know, we need to talk to y'all, and you know, you guys are adopted. I I, I don't remember that time. Uh, I don't remember uh, a specific point in my life when I found out that I was adopted. It was like I always knew. Um, it wasn't ever a secret. It wasn't ever uh, something that. You know, my parents didn't want me to know about. Uh, they just always told me, and um, and and I think part part of and Sharon could tell you differently. You know, I don't you know I don't want to speak for her, but for me, you know, I never had. You know, I've I've heard some stories of of different uh, children. You know, people that have been adopted and just that they had this burning desire to find their body. You know, who their real parents are, and and. Um, you know, not as a knock to my biological parents at all, but I, I had my parents. You know, my parents were Stacy or are Stacy and Carol Marriott. And um, I just, I always thought it was the most amazing thing in the world that I was adopted, you know, and I, I know that there's individuals out there who really struggle with that. They they struggle with the bitterness. They struggle with uh, the the fact that, you know, why would my mom or my, you know, my biological parents, why would they not want me? Um, and really, I, it's not that <laughs> I don't think I'm, I'm not spiritual enough to say that there was a point where I made this decision. It just, it was always this way for me. It just, I, I never, I never viewed it that way. And I believe perspective on a situation is a vital part of how you respond to that situation is your perspective on it. 
And there's a lot of a lot of young people who have been adopted, and their perspective is that my parents forsook me. They didn't want me. They they hated me. Um, they they just they didn't they didn't think that I was good enough to be in their family. And, you know, whatever the case may be, um, I never had that thought. I, the, one of the things growing up younger, um, I thought it was the most amazing thing to be adopted because this didn't happen often, but you know maybe once or twice in my childhood, someone would, might make fun, you know, that I was adopted. And, uh, you know, that they're not my real parents. And I'll never forget, I always had, I, I love the opportunity to be able to say, well, you know what? My mom and dad chose me. Your parents didn't get a choice. <laughs> they got you no matter what. But my parents chose me. And I always thought that that was the most amazing thing in the world, that, that I had two individuals who, they're not my blood, but they chose me. They wanted me in their life. And as a child, I thought that was amazing. I thought that was so neat. And, and again, talking about perspective, as I then transitioned, as I got older, more mature, and really started to think about it, you know, I always told people if I ever had the chance to meet or to talk to my biological mom, I wanted to tell her, the first thing I wanted to say to her was thank you. Um, thank you for not aborting me. I mean, she very well easily could have. I didn't really know much of the story. I didn't know much of the background. I knew that she was a teenager. Um, I knew she wasn't married. Um, and so, you know, it was a different time back then. So abortion was not as prevalent as it is today, uh, regrettably, um, that it's more prevalent today. But um, but that, that obviously could have been an option. It just, and and, it, and and uh, the fact that she didn't, I just was eternally grateful for that. Um, and I always said, you know, if I ever got the chance, I want to I wanna be able to tell her that, that. If I don't get to do anything else, I'm fine, as long as I can just tell her that. Um, but then as time progressed, and now fast forward to 2008, and my dad uh, hands me this email address and says, hey, this is your biological mom, if you want to contact her. And... Um, so I did. I sent an email and that, that was the very first line in the email uh, was thank you. You know, thank you for not aborting me. And um, we began to correspond over email a little bit. Um, it was a transitional time in my life. Uh, my mom had just passed away. I just gotten married then now. And uh, and so we didn't correspond nearly as much as I, you know, looking back that I wish I would have. And um, so we, we, we spoke back and forth and and uh, the first thing that she emailed me back was, you know, Austin, I want you to know that, you know, abortion was never an option, um, which was, you know, very <laughs> you know, encouraging to hear. Um, but just in that that short time of starting to communicate with her, I began to realize that not only did my parents choose me, Stacy and Carol, but that my biological mother made the probably the toughest and probably the most selfless decision that she could ever have made by putting me up for adoption. She put my well-being before her desire uh, and her love, you know, it, as you know, you know, as you have a child and it's cliche, you hear it all the time from your parents growing up, you know, you'll never know, you know, how much you, how much I love you until you have your own children. And it's true. You don't. And, and to see as we had our first child, Adelaide, and then Lemuel, to see that love that you had, and I'm sure even more so for a mom, that mother's love, um, to know that she was able to 
see that as, as much as I love this child, I want the best for it. And I'm going to remove myself from the equation. I'm going to not put my desires first, but put the well-being of him first. Um, was just a, such an act of selflessness. It was, it was incredible. And so, again, perspective you know, perspective on, on the situation of your life, you know, and, and I don't know who's watching or, or who will watch in, in, in the future, but, you know, if you are adopted, I would just encourage you just think through the situation and, and think about what perspective you're looking at it. You know, it, it really, a lot of times, especially with bitterness, uh, bitterness, I, I believe the root of bitterness is, is selfishness. It, it's really, it's a selfish act. And, um, that is true because cause you're, you're, you're dwelling on what happened to you in the situation of, you know, and you're not looking at this perspective and it's not the proper perspective. And there's a, an amazing illustration in the Bible that, you know, we can get to if we have time, but about that. Um, but so as we, as we began to correspond back and forth through email, um, we started just really basic trying to get to know each other. We, we did some of those stupid surveys and things like that. It was a lot of fun uh, just to try to get to know each other. And uh, learned that she was uh, from the South, and I was born in Arkansas, obviously, and she had uh, gone from there um, uh, to the University of Arkansas, and she became a, uh, uh, not, not a physical therapist, she's a occupational therapist, and uh, helps older people and, you know, people that have injuries and things like that, get them rehabilitated and, you know, reacclimated into the world. And... Um, she had moved down to Texas and lived down there. And um, so, but through that correspondence and that, that went on, on and off, I'd say for a couple of years, um, we were obviously had just gotten married. We were still in Elgin. And then we had transitioned. We moved to Iowa and uh, it was right after, it was actually the exact same winter that I had my knee injury, uh, which is a whole other story. But uh, when I injured my knee skiing, um, that same right after my first surgeries is when she came to Iowa. She, we had started corresponding through Facebook and uh, she mentioned, you know, I'd, I'd love to come and meet you if you're up for that. And I said, yeah, that'd be great. I'd love it. And uh, so we were playing all that. Then my injury happened and I said, Hey, you know, this is what's going on. So I won't be able to be able to walk. Um, but she still came. And uh, up until that time, I'd never really heard any of the story. Um, and she had mentioned, you know, through, our correspondence, you know, that she wanted to tell me, but just wanted it to be the right time, really would like to do it in person. And um, so that time came and uh, she came and she began to tell her story and uh, her, it just, it coming from not knowing anything. I mean, knowing nothing, uh, just knowing I was born in Arkansas, uh, knowing that she was a teenager. Um, that was about it. That's all, that's all I ever knew. And uh, so she began to tell, tell me her story. And um, she grew up uh, in a broken home. Uh, her her dad was an alcoholic, um, and so her mom had had ended that relationship. Uh, just it was not going well. And when that happened, uh, her and her sister. She I think she was twelve at the time. Her sister's a little bit younger than her, and uh, so they left and they transitioned and they began to. Uh, just stay with family. And that year, uh, if I remember correctly, what she told me, they, they were in nine different schools that year. Um, they just were constantly moving. 
uh, family member to family member to family member, moved all across the country. Um, they finally ended and settled down in, in, um, in Arkansas. And uh, her mom started a job and, and uh, they got a little apartment. It was the summer then. And during that time, obviously the mom was working. And uh, so her and her sister were kind of left to themselves at the apartment complex and started hanging around the wrong crowd. And she's now 13 years old and she began hanging out with, and not dating, but essentially going that way with this guy that was like 20. And uh, her mom found out about it, had that guy arrested, which rightfully so. And uh, but then her mom uh, decided to take the girls and bring them to a girl's home. Um, her mom didn't really have much of a you know religious background, I would say, you know, not not anything like what, you know, what we're accustomed to or, you know, grew up with. Um, so the fact that she found this girl's home is just incredible. You know? And, and so they, they went, it was a girl's home in Georgia. It wasn't even anywhere close to home. Um, and this girl's home was an independent Baptist girl's home and, uh, it was affiliated with a camp. And so the girls would grow, they grew up in the home. They would, they would work at the camp through the summer as, on staff. And then in the fall, they would travel with the gentleman who was the, the, director he was also an evangelist and he would preach and the girls would sing and different things like that and so uh, she dropped them off and um, they were supposed to stay for about for a year I believe it was and then she was going to pick them up well within that first year they began to uh, communicate with their mom um, they would uh, it, I always forget which way it is but it's one of them was if they would call on the phone the home would listen into the phone call or if they wrote the home would read the letters before they gave it to the girls. And um, I think it was that the mom, her mom would not write them because she knew that, but she would call them. Well, then she found out that they were listening in. She stopped calling. She wouldn't call anymore. So she showed up a year later to pick them up. And the girls said, um, you know, mom, we've, we've have, we have stability. Uh, we have structure. Um, and if it's okay, we'd like to just stay. And their mom said, okay. And left and didn't come back. And um, so they grew up there in the home. Um, my mom became kind of the poster child, if you will, of the home. Uh, she played the piano for them uh, as they would travel and sing. Um, ironically, as she's telling me this story, you know, I would I asked her some different churches and whatnot. And as I found out the name of the, the camp and the, the evangelist and things, I, I asked my dad, I said, hey, have you ever heard of this guy? Have you ever heard of, uh, you know, this camp? He's like, yeah, that he would come and preach every year at Central. And so it's, I mean, it happened, I'm sure it happened, you know, but that they were at central while my mom and dad were at central and she would play the piano. And so that, that interaction happened and they never even knew it. Um, so she went through the home. Uh, she graduated early. It was kind of an ACE type based uh, schooling. Um, and so she graduated early and the, the evangelist who ran the home was, uh, a, a close friend of Lee Robertson, um, brother, he, my, the evangelist had, uh, grown up in East Texas. Uh, he had, a, I think he had a third grade education and, um, he, he, after third grade, he went and worked on the cotton farms in the fields and, uh, he got saved and, uh, it, it's either he got saved or he got called to preach under the preaching of Lee Robertson, but the Robertson was in the area preaching. And I think it was, he surrendered to preach and, um, you know, he didn't, he didn't have a, you know, like I said, a third grade education. So he didn't have a lot of, uh, to be able to, 
you know, to, uh, to, to read. Um, as I've learned more and just hearing different stories, you know, he, he didn't, he never really learned to read well, but he could read the Bible perfectly. It was not any, any mistake. It was amazing. Um, but, but Robertson told him, he said, Hey, come, come to Tennessee temple and I'll teach you everything I know and you can come. And so he did. And he became very close with him. Well, so my biological mom grad, graduates from school and brother, uh, he calls brother Robertson and said, you know, I have this girl, uh, she's graduated from here. She's, she's doing great. Uh, would you consider allowing her to come to Tennessee temple? And brother Robertson told him, he said, yes, she can come and she can come as a missionary kid. And so essentially, you know, her room and board and tuition was all covered. And uh, so she went, she went her freshman year, uh, during the summer of her freshman year after, after going there for a year, she traveled with a, a, a gentleman who, uh, he was an evangelist. Uh, he was actually, he was, he was a camp meeting singer and, uh, his name was, uh, Howard Jewell. And, uh, he would travel to camp meetings and sing and, uh, he was getting up in years. And so she had to get a driver's license cause she didn't have it. And she would drive their van and, uh, his wife was getting up in years as well. And she was very, uh, just not, not well, she was ill. And so she began to care for his wife and she would take care of her, her while they traveled and while he sang. So she did that for the summer. And that's really she's, what she's told me is that's kind of where that desire of being an occupational therapist came from was that, that summer of traveling. So she went back her sophomore year. And uh, from that, she, uh, as she was working or, or as she was at going to school, she, uh, she got a job at a local shoe store. And uh, she was working there just making election money on the side just to have some spending cash and whatnot. And uh, through that year, she and through the through that shoe store, she met a, a, a young man that worked there. Uh, as she's telling me this story, she uh, says, you know, that he he uh, was the son of a Baptist preacher of the of local in the area. He, he wasn't going to school there, uh, but he was he, he was from that area. And um, so one thing led to another. And, uh, you know, and, and uh, through that, and she ended up pregnant. And uh, she started getting real sick, missing classes and whatnot. Her dorm supervisor would come to her and say, hey, you know, if you keep missing classes, you're going to absence out. And, you know, had no idea what was going on. But she knew. And um, so she she knew what was going to happen and what would be the you know repercussion of that. And so she just left. Uh, she said, you know, I didn't want to. I, I knew I was going to break Brother Robertson's heart. I knew I was going to break, you know. Um, the evangelist there at the at the camp's heart, and uh, so she just went back. She just went back to the camp. She just left, and so she got back, and uh, she stayed there for a little while, and um, from there she transitioned. She she got moved to uh, a home, to a pastor's home in Arkansas, and uh, she went there. She had she had asked. Uh, she just at somewhere in that timeline there. Um, her and her sister kind of gotten were were kind of taken in uh, by the evangelist and his family. Uh, they consider them to be very close, you know, basically like family. You know, never really legally adopted, but I mean, essentially that. Um, and so uh, she had uh, wanted to kind of slip away, just you know, just the whatever that situation being in that situation. So she slipped away. She went to that home, to that uh, pastor's home, and stayed there uh, through the pregnancy. And that's why I was born in Arkansas. But uh, during that time, she decided that she was going to p- place me up for adoption. And uh, when she did that, uh, again, this is her telling me the story. She said, "You know, when I decided to place you up for adoption, uh, 
your biological dad's father reached out. And uh, again, you know, he's a Baptist preacher in the area. And he reached out, he had heard, you know, that she was wanting to adopt, you know, put me up for adoption. And he expressed interest in, in adopting me. And uh, she told me, she said, you know, I just, I, I couldn't, I just, I couldn't do that. I did not want you to create a division between him and his son, you know, your, your biological father. I did not want, um, you know, I, I didn't want, uh, you know, you to be, grow, to grow up with, you know, right by a father that hated you, you know, because when, 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 when she found out she was pregnant, she had approached him and he wanted nothing to do with it. He, he denied it. There's didn't want anything to do with it. So, um, so she said, I just, I couldn't do it. And, and, and it was God, you know, God knew where I needed to be. And, um, so through an acquaintance of theirs and, and acquaintance of Stacy and Carol Marriott, um, that word came and she agreed and they adopted me. Well, so now I'm in, you know, it's, 2012, I think it is. And we're in Iowa and she's telling me this story. I'm sitting on the couch in our living room. She's telling me this story. My mind's just reeling. Uh, one that my, my grandfather on my biological mother, you know, again, I had no idea any, any story. I had no idea the background, but hearing this, I'm sitting on the, on the couch and hearing that my biological grandfather or, or my, my grandfather, my, on my mom's side was a Baptist preacher, an evangelist hearing that my biological grandfather on my dad's side is an independent Baptist preacher. It, it just blew me away. You know, I had no idea. I, I had no clue what my background was. And I just, I was, I was floored. And I wouldn't say that, that at that moment, the, the desire kind of sparked, but shortly thereafter it sparked in me that I wonder if this grandfather that was a Baptist preacher wanted to adopt me. I wonder if he's still living is, is I, I got to find him. I got to figure out. And so uh, our relationship has continued uh, with, with my biological mom. It's great. Uh, she's amazing. Uh, she's uh, married to a gentleman um, there in Texas. He's great. And I have a half brother and half sister. And uh, that relationship has really just blossomed and it's been amazing how we've been able to grow that relationship. Um, but the story doesn't stop there, it continues through. And uh, so I began that, that research trying to figure out who uh, my grandfather was and if he was still living and is there any way that I could contact him or find him. And so we, we uh, began to, we began to look and, and try to find him. Uh, we, we had, we knew his, we knew his name, we knew his last name and, uh, but we didn't really know much else besides that. And so, uh, we began to Facebook stalk some people <laughs> and trying to find uh, who we thought they might be. And uh, through Facebook, we thought we had found them. We weren't positive, but we thought we had. And um, we had enlisted the help of different people. Um, we had uh, Mrs. Judy Garris, uh, she, with Brother Ron Garris and Rock of Ages. They were very heavily uh in, involved with churches in the in that region in Georgia that area and so we thought maybe that they might know someone or know know someone who knows someone and so we had reached out to her and she began to do some digging and had come up with some information for us that that we were able to to pursue and um, the the avenue that ended up working uh, was another gentleman who works with Rock of Ages uh, this would have been um, it would have been two thousand. So it had been the fall of 2016, 
um, or the fall of two thousand. Yeah, I think the fall of two thousand sixteen at the pastors' conference in Elgin. Uh, my dad was there, and uh, during the evening, after the evening service, they have their meal and things that were fellowship and whatnot. And there's a gentleman there from Rock of Ages named uh, Brother Robert Keaton, and my dad went and sat down, and talked to him, and just were making small talk and. Uh, he asked him, he said, Hey, by chance, do you know a pastor? And he named, you know, my grandfather's name. And, and, uh, brother Keaton said, you know what I do. And my dad, you know, I think he kind of asked like half expecting, you know, just here, no, no, I, I don't, I don't know anyone that way, but he said, yeah, I do. And, um, so my dad told him my story and told him about it. And brother Keaton, you know, he said, we'd love to just be able to contact him in some way and talk to him and see. And, uh, brother Keaton said, well, you know, let me see. Let me see if I can find something. And uh, so that was in September. And uh, we didn't hear anything from Brother Keaton until, I think, May of the following year. And um, in May, he texted my dad and uh, said, hey, here's uh, Austin's grandfather's phone number. Um, And my dad gave it to me, and I sat on it for probably about four or five weeks. Um, I just, I was so nervous. I didn't know. I didn't know the situation. I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know if he was... Uh, living with my biological dad, who last word I got was had wanted nothing to do with me, and um, so I didn't want to cause any problems. I didn't want to cause any trouble. I just, you know, but I I wanted I, that burning desire to tell him who I was and what God had done. Um, I just I wanted to to share that with him, and so we prayed about it for a long time, and I finally got peace. And I even talked to Brother Keaton, and I I messaged him and talked to him about it, and I said, you know. I don't know what's going to happen here. And I don't, are you okay with me contacting him? Cause he's your friend, you know, acquaintance or whatnot. And I never forget Brother Keaton texted me back and he said, if I lose a friend over trying to restore family, that's fine. And that just meant the world to me that he would put that risk out there for me. And um, so we called, uh, I was on the way home uh, from Elgin one night and uh, we made that call and I'll never forget it. And uh, the phone rang and, uh, this sweet Southern voice uh, lady gets on the phone and says hello. And I feel so disrespectful looking back now, but I said, you know, his, and I named his name and said his first name. And I didn't know what else to say. <laughs> I said, is, is he available? And uh, she said, yeah, sure. Just a minute. And so she gets off the phone to go, go get my grandfather. And I'm in the car and I'm looking at Rachel and in my mind, I'm thinking, I just talked to my grandmother and she has no idea. And uh, so he gets on the phone and uh, he says hello. And I start talking to him and, and uh, basically just went into my story, told him who I was, where I was, what I was doing, told him pretty much the story that I just told you. And then ended it with, you know, as far as I know, the way the story has been told, uh, I believe that I'm your grandson and that you're my grandfather. And um, he said, uh, he said, yeah, 30, 31 years ago, sounds about right. And uh, he said that that was uh, that's a long time ago, and um, you know I really didn't know where we you know where what the next step was going to be, what was what was about to happen, and and uh, I think he was just trying to process everything of what what I said. And, hey, awesome. Yeah, I, I am so sorry we jumped in. Give me give me one second. I'm having technical difficulty on my end. Just give me one second. It's cutting out. For you. You're you're fine. Just give me one second. And uh, okay. for those of you listening, I apologize. We take a short intermission for just a second here i'll be right back austin if we lose connection with people that are watching just give me one second one second okay.
Can you hear me, Arthur? Yeah. Okay. I apologize. My headphones just decided to die on me. So. Oh, okay. You take it away. Go ahead. Well, we did have a, a comment that said that there was no sound, so I didn't know if that was. Hopefully, good. we're good. Okay. All right. Good. <clears throat> so, um, so he, you know, he said that, and he had, he started talking to me again. He apologized. He said, "You know, I'm a little hard of hearing." Um, you know, and so I think as I, and as I look back, I actually had recorded that conversation. So, so I'd always have it. And as you listen back to it, you can hear him. And as I'm telling the story, I, I, I don't know, just in my mind's eye, as I'm listening to what he's saying, it sounds like he's thinking in his head, you know, okay, who is this random person calling and telling me their life story? And why are they calling and telling me this? Cause he was just, you know, Oh, okay. Yes. Okay. You know, yes, yes. You know, just that kind of, you know, general answers. Um, but then, so, you know, so he started to ask me my information again, he wanted to write it all down. And, you know, he said, I, I just, he said, I, I'm very much a proponent of, of a conversation in person, not over the phone. He said, I'd love to be able to, you know, take this to prayer and pray about this. And, you know, maybe someday we might be able to, to get together and, and talk. And, um, but he wanted all my information again. So I went through and told him again, told him that I was a youth pastor in, in, in Illinois. And he just, he's, he's, I've never forget. He said, that's awesome, man. That's awesome. And, um, and so then I began to tell him about my family. I told him about Adelaide and, and I was, he asked me to spell out everything and he was writing it down and he, I, he would spell it out. And, and then he said, now you said you have a son. What, what, what's his name? And I said, his name is Lemuel. And he said, spell that for me. I said, well, it's L-E-M-U-E-L. And he said, spell it again. And I said, it's L-E-M-U-E-L. And uh, he says, Lemuel. And I said, yeah, it's Lemuel. And as I'm saying his name, I can hear him kind of chuckling in the background. And I'm wondering why. I mean, I know it's an interesting name, but I mean, come on, it's a Bible name. Why are you laughing at, at this kid's name? And um, after I said that, he, he came back in. He said, you know, I'm sorry. I don't mean to, I, don't, I didn't mean to chuckle, but um, my grandfather was named Lemuel and he was a Baptist preacher. And I just, I was blown away. I mean, I, at that moment in the car, I just started weeping. I just couldn't believe it because we had struggled uh, with, we had two names picked out for our son and we weren't sure which one to go with. Rachel was settled on Lemuel, but I just, I wasn't quite sure. Uh, but we decided to go with that. And, uh, and it was just, it was God. Uh, God really, I believe doing that for my grandfather. Um, so, but, so my great, great grandfather, Lemuel's great, great, great grandfather, uh, is his namesake without us even knowing it, that it was, and I uh, just was amazing how God puts that together. And, uh, so we were rejoicing over that and, and uh, we ended the call and, uh, you know, I really didn't know where it was going to go from there. I had no idea. Uh, I thought maybe that was it. And I was fine with that. I was thankful that I got to tell him what ended up with my life. And um, so a little time went on. We talked again, I think a few weeks later. And then uh, shortly thereafter, he called me and said, you know, we'd love to put together a trip to come meet you. And I thought, yeah, that'd be amazing. I'd, I would love that. And so they worked out the details and they came up uh, to Dwight. And I'll never forget uh, when they pulled in and uh, they, they came in and, you know, we we hugged and that was a very special moment. But 
And then we started, I helped them starting to unload and we just started bringing box after box after box. In, and I was wondering what in the world are they, what is all this stuff? And the, literally we had Christmas. I mean, they just, they wanted to, they just are there. As I've gotten to know them over the past couple of years, they're just some of the most giving people I've ever met in my life. And, um, so they had a box for a banana box for Addie of presents. And then they had a banana box for Lemuel and then for Rachel and then for me. And they wanted me to open mine last. And so all the kids opened theirs obviously and had a blast with that. And then they got to mine and opened it up and uh, he gave me his Bible, uh, which is just such a, a amazing gift for me. I, I cherish that. Um, he gave me a bunch of books that he used to use to study out of, um, he gave me um he gave me a, a a revolver he gave me some knives he gave me all sorts of different things it was really just amazing incredible and um but at the very top of the box there was an envelope and uh, when i opened the box he grabbed the envelope he said this is last i want you to open this up last and i said okay and uh, so we were going through all the different things and whatnot and and uh, he said this envelope there's a story behind it and i said okay and um so then again, like he had mentioned, you know, he didn't, he wanted to talk, you know, over in person, not over the phone. So kind of just like my biological mother, you know, I, I didn't know any, any of the story. And uh, so he began to go into, you know, the story from his point of view. And I don't really like to say his side of the story. I mean, it's, it's all the same story, but just from his perspective. And uh, he, he talked about uh, that, he had gotten word his son at the time was not living at home um, and uh, he had gotten his own place and, but he had been notified. He got word from the director of the camp uh, that my biological mother had gotten pregnant and uh, that they believed and, you know, they understood that, that, that his son was the father. And so he approached um, my biological dad about that and, and uh, he denied it, you know, said it, that I wasn't his and, and, um, just wouldn't admit it. Um, but as they began to see, you know, that my biological dad wasn't going to fulfill his obligation as a parent, um, my grandfather got the, just the burden, the urge that I'm, you know, I'm going to take that, take up that responsibility. If my son will, I will. And, um, so they tried to help. Uh, they tried to reach out. They tried to do everything that they could. Um, my grandmother is a, a very accomplished seamstress. And so she would make clothes and send them and things like that. But, uh, word came that, that, uh, my biological mom had moved from Georgia to, um, Arkansas and that came as a blow. They, well, they actually, they didn't know that she moved to Arkansas. They just knew that she moved. They didn't know where. And, um, cause they were just, they just wanted to help. They wanted to be involved and be able to help in any way that they could. And so they, uh, they reached out and uh, they couldn't figure it. No one would really communicate or correspond with them to let them know what happened. And so uh, again, my grandfather's telling me this story and he said, I reached out to a friend of mine who I thought might be able to, to get somewhere with something or get some answers. And he said, so I called a friend of mine, brother Ron Garris. And I'm like, wait, 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 hold on who? <laughs> and he says, brother Ron Garris. And I said, with rock of ages. And he's like, yeah, with rock of ages. I said, he is, uh, for all sake of a better, he was like a grandfather to my wife. And it just, it blew us away, that the correlation there. And um, so he had called him and Brother Garris had reached out and uh, he had 
came back to my grandfather and said, um, you know, I reached out to them. They, uh, she's, you know, they, they, it's been decided that, um, they, that you don't know where she is. Um, they decided that the child can be put up for adoption and they just feel it's in the best interest of her and the child, just that, you know, that you don't know. Um, well that, I mean, that just devastated him. I mean, he, you know, he had just had that desire, that burning you know, desire to have their relationship and to be, to fulfill that obligation. And it was, you know, jerked away from him. And, um, so he's the way he tells the story, he said, you know, I went to God and he, he said, I don't, he told me, he tells me, he said, I don't know how you talk to God, but I said, Lord, I can't handle this. How am I supposed to be a pastor? How am I supposed to deliver the goods on Sunday week in and week out? How am I supposed to counsel people when I can't get through this situation in my life? You, you how, how, how do I do this? And he said, he really struggled with it. And he said, it's like God impressed on his heart. And he said, um, I want you, he said, every time that you find a dime, uh, back then, obviously, they, there was a lot more cash transactions than there are today. And uh, so whenever they would get changed, things like that, he would collect these coins. And he said, every time you get a dime, I want you to pray for her and pray for the child. And uh, he said, it was, it, he said, I can't explain it. It was just a piece that came over me that this is what I was supposed to do. I can't help. So this is what I'm supposed to do. And he said, that's what I did. Um, he said, every time I would find a dime, whether it was on the ground, in my change, anytime I got a dime, I would pray for her and I would pray at that point, pray for the unborn child. You know, I didn't, didn't know anything, just that there was a child. Then word came in July that, you know, that she had the child, it was a boy, but that's all they ever knew that she had it and it was a boy. And so that's how he began to pray. And he prayed for me and, um, he began to collect those dimes, every dime that he would pray over, he would collect and he'd put them in a jar at his house. And then eventually he, back then they, you'd have to roll your coins yourself and he would roll those coins and, uh, he would take them down to the local credit union and he opened up a savings account and he began to deposit them into that account. And he did that for years. He, he said, as he's telling me the story, he said, I, I don't, so there was a time that I just had to give it over to the Lord, but he said, I, I don't remember when that was. I just know it just, it was years. And as he's telling me this again, I'm on the couch, just bawling, just weeping, just thinking about how good God is that, you know, we look at through scripture and we see how vast and how big God is, but to know that he cares for each one of us that much that he would orchestrate our life to, to that specific of a detail. And so my grandfather's telling me this, I'm bawling and just amazed that God would love me that much. And that my, that this person who I never met, never knew had prayed for me countless times and just overwhelmed. And uh, he said, uh, he said, when, when you called and we made the, the plan to get up here, uh, he said, my wife, you know, grandma looked at me and said, well, what are you, what are you going to do with those dimes? And, uh, he said, he, he's like, I looked at her and said, well, those are awesome dimes. And I'm still, I mean, I'm just not really even comprehending everything. I'm just bawling, you know, not even, you know, trying to pay attention, but just overwhelmed. And in that envelope, he pulls out a, a bank check 
And that check represented over 12,000 prayers that he had prayed for me. It just, it was unbelievable, incredible. Um, I did, I did the math and I'm a math kind of guy. And if he had continued it up until the day that we met, it still would have been over one prayer every single day that he prayed for me. It was convicting, (laughs) Um, but it was amazing at how God, you know, sometimes we pray for things and we don't, we feel like we don't get an answer. Sometimes God answers and we don't even know that he's answered and, and we never will know that he answered until we get to heaven. And I think I was telling, I don't remember if it was during the live or I think it was before we were talking about, but just that I truly feel that these past couple of years that God has, for whatever reason, has given me a glimpse of what I think heaven's going to be like for every single person when they get there, when they, that he's for some reason shown me how he wove different things through my life. And he's given me that opportunity. I don't know why, but I feel like every single person is going to get that opportunity someday when they stand before, when they get to heaven and God's going to show them their life and show them all those times that they ask why God's going to answer that question and show, well, this is why. And to see how, how much the hand of God matters in our life and how much he's done is just unbelievable. And so he, he, uh, he gives me that check. And just, again, I just was overwhelmed by it. And um, God has just really knit our hearts. And it's just been amazing how that relationship has grown. We've got the privilege to go down there and meet um, many, pretty much all the family uh, from there. And it just hit from that side. And it's, it's just been really neat at what God has done and uh, the heritage that I have. Um, and there's more to the story. Um, I know we've gone over and whatnot, but um, it still is just, it, it's near and dear to my heart. And um, a thought that I've had from that and just something that God has given me from this story is um, a verse that probably a lot of us know, probably many of us have quoted before, but in Romans chapter eight, verse number 28, um, we know that all things work together for good. Um, that, that thought and that phrase, all things has just really stuck with me. And uh, just no matter what you're going through in life, no matter what trial, literally no matter what trial you're going through, God has a plan and a purpose. He's never, I tell the teenagers this all the time, and it, but it's something that I think each one of us as a person has to apply in our heart and in our life and understand nothing surprises God. Nothing is as shocked as we get when we get that phone call and we literally almost drop to our knees. Our, we, we, we can't even stand that feeling that we get. God never gets that feeling. <laughs> he knows you're getting that call. He knew the moment you were born that you were going to get that call. And to know that he loves us that much and to know that he, he orchestrates everything in our life. Um, is just unbelievable in that all things do work together for good. All, it doesn't say that all things are good. There are things in our life that are going to come that aren't good, that are hard, that are, that are difficult, that are trying, that other people look at and, and think, how in the world can you get through that? But when you, again, perspective, when you can look at it from the proper perspective and see that all things do work together for good, that do we have time to keep going? Okay. 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 Um, 
just that that thought and there's a, a, a illustration in the bible that i just think is so perfect of an illustration for that thought of perspective is the story of of king david and ahithophel uh, Hithophel, uh was David's right-hand man. The Bible talks about that he was uh, the man that when he spoke, it was as if the oracles of God were speaking. And uh, and you watch his, his life, it transitions from him being the right hand and, and the, the counselor that David would go to for battle, for war, what should I do? Remember, David was, you know, he was the warrior king. I mean, he, he had accomplished so much. But he would counsel with Ahithophel, and Ahithophel would tell him yes or no. But you watch the transition of Ahithophel's life. He goes from that. He goes to conspiring with Absalom. He he tells Absalom to do some terrible things. Then he then he goes from that to telling Absalom to allow him. And, and the way that it's written in Scripture is so amazing because he says, "Let me take." I think it's two hundred men or whatnot. But then from that transition, the next, the, the logical phrase of the next verse would be, let us go and we will find the king and we will kill him. This is what it says. It says, give me 200 men and I will go find the king and I will kill him and I will bring, and it's all about him. And so you see this transition of Ahithophel and then it ends up that, that Absalom doesn't take his advice and, and Ahithophel gets so mad he goes home and he kills himself and hangs himself, commits suicide. And you wonder what, what drives a man to go from being the right hand, the counselor of the king to wanting to, to conspiring against the king, to wanting to kill the king, to committing suicide. And you look through scripture and you see that Ahithophel, from looking at lineages and different things, Ahithophel was Bathsheba's grandfather. And you think of that situation and no one in their right mind would say that's a good situation. Uh, the adultery, murder, uh, all the things that transpired there. A, a child dying and um and what's incredible is again perspective that Ahithophel couldn't get over that he couldn't get over what happened to his granddaughter i mean yeah rightfully so he he, he should have been mad but he could never get over it and the bitterness just drove him to do what he did and it just and, and in the end it destroyed him him alone it destroyed him but on the flip side of that, you look at David. David went through that same situation, but he repented. He got right. He didn't. He didn't allow it to get. I mean, he he had every right to be bitter, but he didn't get bitter. You know, God took four of his kids because of it. He didn't get bitter, and from that situation, what's amazing is, you look now fast forward into the Gospels, and you look at the lineage of Christ. You look at the lineage of Christ from Joseph, and you look at the lineage of Christ from Mary. Both of those lineages go back to King David. But what's incredible is both of those lineages go back to King David and Bathsheba. Mary, the mother of Christ, Joseph, the, the earthly father of Christ, came from that union, came from that situation. And it's interesting, as you look at the lineage, you look at, on one side, the son of David, who is in that lineage, that son is named Nathan. And what's amazing, and, and to me, what, why I believe that David was able to get over it, and he didn't have the bitterness, and got, he, he, got, he repented and was able to move on, is because he named his kid Nathan, 
this was the kid that was born of Bathsheba, not the one that died, but one that was born later. He named him Nathan. Nathan was the prophet that came and told him, thou art the man. Nathan was the man that said, David, four of your kids are going to die because of what you did. And yet David could name his child after him. Hmm. He got right. And again, and it's the perspective of the situation. It's not, it, when you look at how it, you look at that situation with both sides, David was able to get through it. He was able to get repentance. He was able to move on. And God used a situation that, in no one's right mind would say good, but good came out of it. Mm-hmm. Our Lord Jesus Christ came out of that Amen. from, from Mary being born. It's just, and it's, and, and really that to me has been such a, a blessing to me to think about. And, and again, to reiterate that verse that all things do work together for good, <clears throat> no matter the situation, no matter how hard, no matter how difficult, all things do work together for good. And, and, as you look through and, and we don't have the time tonight, maybe another time we can talk about it. But as you look through the different verses in the Bible, and, and I would encourage each person that's listening to, to do a study on your own, look at the different times that the, that, that phrase, all things is used, you know, just some that come to my mind, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. And, and all things were made by him. And, and there's so many different phrases that just, it, it just, to me, turns that phrase alive uh, even more when you look through that and understand that these all things in our life, every situation, every, no matter how hard and how difficult, no matter what phone call you receive, God has a purpose and a plan. And when you can see his perspective on it, you know, sometimes we, we have such a finite mind, it's hard for us to wrap our mind around it, what God is painting, but he is painting and he's painting a masterpiece. And if we yield to him, if we don't let it, don't let bitterness creep in because it'll destroy you. But if you just yield to him and say, God, I I don't understand, but I'm still going to trust you. I'm still going to have that faith to know that you have a purpose and a plan. You know, in my life being adopted, you know, God, you know, you know, as I look back, you know, I'm sure my grandfather had thoughts. Why, why couldn't I have this, this child? You know, I'm a pastor. He grew up in a great home. But God saw fit. God knew that I needed to be with Stacy and Carol Marriott. He knew that I needed Sharon as a sister. He knew that I needed to grow up in Elgin, Illinois, at Northwest Bob at this church. He knew all of that. He knew that someday I would meet Rachel and that we would get married and that, that we would have Adelaide and Lemuel. And that he knew all of those things. And he put it all together. And all things do work together for good. And uh, it's just... I'm incredibly blessed and God has done so much. And I'm so excited to see what the future holds um, because it's all him. It's nothing about me. I'm no one special. And and again, I don't know why, but I just, I'm so grateful that God allowed me the opportunity to be able to see something that I never would have known. You know, I I would have never known this story, but no, that there was a, a preacher that prayed for me to know of my heritage, that my grandfather was a preacher, his dad was a preacher, his dad was a preacher, you know, just the, the, the heritage that I've come from uh, just is incredible what God has done. And, and it's all really to his honor and his glory. It's just, a, it's been amazing. And I know I've taken up a lot of your time, but it's, no. it's, it's I enjoyed telling the story because it just is, it's, it's amazing what God's done. 
Amen. And for those that are listening, man, I mean, that doesn't get you fired up. You're, you're, you're missing something, but in all seriousness, if you would share this with someone, maybe if you don't want to share it directly to your page or something, if you, you, you probably know somebody that needs this and with Facebook and, and YouTube, you can send a link directly to somebody, but share the, and, and for those that jumped in halfway through, um, when we end it you, after about, about five minutes after we end it, you, it'll be uploaded and you'll be able to, um, go back and listen to the first part that you missed. Um, I, I, I there's almost nothing needs to be nothing needs to be added. You did a great job of with a story like that with so many details going on. You did a great job of walking us through it because I, I I I mentioned you before. My, my mind is hard. <laughs> well, the way my mind works, I like I assume people know things and and I just jump all over the place. But you did a great yeah. job walking us through it and because I can say that because I haven't heard the entire story and so being able to walk through that. Funny enough, only because I preached a couple of weeks or so ago. Um, Lord laid a, a thought from Book of Ruth where Boaz said, leave some handfuls of purpose behind. If you remember, Ruth was going behind mm-hmm. in this field, in Boaz field. Yeah. And, and you can look at that story. Um, and obviously we know that Naomi lost her husband and two sons and all that stuff. And, and the thought that God gave me was uh, three points where God brought you here on purpose. He knows exactly what he has for you. He's blessed you on purpose. And that's where the handfuls of purpose, even if it's just a little bit, the crumbs from the master's table are better. Right. And he bought you on purpose. Boaz had to make a decision to be the kinsman redeemer. Um, but then the only reason I bring that up is because if you go back a couple generations from David earlier, you get a guy named Boaz and his yep. wife, Ruth. Yep. And it was so, it's so cool to me that Jesus was totally okay with having a little bit of Moabite blood. Because it, 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 that redeemer, that, that I mean, there's so it's that so rich. Um, but just looking at his genealogy is, is so amazing. Yeah, and, and then you you get to live a little bit of that with the adoption. And, and again, there's not much needs tacked on. This is something Pastor Grimaldi mentions often um, in Jewish culture. It's it's interesting, and you, you probably heard, you may have heard this before, but um, in Jewish culture, a son or a daughter, I guess, but a son, the one that's supposed to inherit a natural born son could be disinherited, could be yeah. said, you're, you're not going to be part of the inheritance um, yep. because of shame or whatever um, embarrassment. But if a Jewish father was to adopt someone, yep. you made the choice and you're not, you were legally no, not no allowed way. to inherit, inherit them anymore. And yep. you think about us being adopted into grafted into the family of God. And man, that just like, like you, like you said, the, 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 the throwback was my parents chose me and that that's, that's amazing. That That's so cool. Well, I, yeah. I appreciate you sharing it. And for those that are listening, I hope, I hope it was a blessing to you. Um, I say it every time. I probably will end up saying it every time. With the viewer counts at zero, that was a blessing to me. Um, but it wasn't at zero. And so I appreciate those that have, have listened in. Give it a share. Not not for my sake, not for this, but for people that need to, need to hear something like this. There's a lot of people. And that, that, that thought of my, that the guy gave me about on purpose, that it, part of that was born out of you know my wife's situation. It's an easy situation and, and, and you know, you, you, and a lot of folks are, and many families, but in our family have dealt with some health situations, you're, you included. And, um, it's easy to think sometimes that, you know, and for you and me, you know, God could bring us to this point and work out that whole story for you, but God can't handle it right now. You know, we, we get right. that. Right um, and so, man, that was, that was, that was so powerful. Um, this will be, uh, it takes me a little bit to 
upload the podcast just to get the audio and all that stuff. But I'm going to make sure this one's going to be up, I think, probably in the next 24 hours or so. So <laughs> keep on. Hey, uh, hey if, if, brother, if uh, brother Fox can stay up all night to get you your intro, I think you should stay up all night. That's true. That's true. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, but it, this is on uh, Apple Podcasts. It's on Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google Play, uh, really any way that you listen to podcasts. If there's a way that you listen to podcasts and you can't find it on there, Micah McCurry Live is a the title, then let me know. And it's simple enough. I can submit it anywhere very quickly. And so let me know that I'd like to know if there's a place that uh, a popular place that needs that I should send it to. Um, but man, this is this is exactly what I envision when uh, with with this is being able to talk to people. I asked you the question, you know, what are you passionate about? And one of the first thing you said was this story and you can feel it, but there's a good reason behind it. Um, and uh, I, I this is probably the best. And now I'm messing up my, my record when I talked about the Houston um, on Tuesday, Monday, whatever day that was, um, I made dead sure. I asked a question and I got out of the way because I wanted to hear brother Houston talk, which sometimes you have a back and forth, like with, you know, with Mick Hall, we had this back and forth fun thing going on, but man, that was, you, you did not go over a bit. That was just, that was awesome. And if this ends up being, I'm just curious what the time frame is now. Oh, it, and actually, it's only an hour and 12 minutes. That's actually, oh, okay, it won't, won't, won't even be the longest one yet, unless you have more to add. But, um, but in all seriousness, well, yeah, yeah. No, in all seriousness, though, is it any, any portions that, that come to mm-hmm. mind now, uh, thinking about it, that maybe could use some expounding or just, you know, thoughts God's laid on your heart about it? Just one thing uh, that I was thinking about with, like I had mentioned, you know, studying out that phrase, all things. Um, one thing that was powerful to me uh, is, you know, and I'll, I'll read some scripture real quick, but mm-hmm. I want, you know, I'd love for people to, to search that phrase out for themselves too in the Bible, because it's, it's an amazing study. Mm-hmm. Um, but in second Corinthians chapter four, verse 15, it says for all things are for your sakes. And then in second Timothy chapter two, verse 10, it says, therefore I endure all things for the elect's sake. And in Second Timothy chapter four, verse five, it says, "But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of evangelists, make full proof of thy ministry." And the thought I had from those verses is that the all things that come in your life, God puts them there for you, but they're not there just for you. Mm-hmm. They're also there, like it says there in Second Timothy, for the elect's sake. Uh, they're there, you know. I, I just was mentioning this to. Uh, uh, a, a friend of mine, or, or actually, it was a, it was a uh, a young man that was in our youth group in Iowa. Um, he has a, an acquaint, a friend that's going through a hard time, and I said, "There's gonna, they are going through this. They don't understand why. But there's gonna come a moment in their ministry in the future where they're sitting down with a young person or an adult, and that person is going through the exact same thing, and they're gonna be able to help them in a very unique way, a way that that." very few people can help them because it's, it's very shallow when you hear someone say, I know what you're going through when they have no clue what you're going through. But on the flip side of that coin, it is very deep when you have someone say, I know what you're going through and they do know what you're going through. And it's amazing how God can use those situations so that you can help someone. And um, so, you know, again, perspective that knowing and understanding no matter what I go through, God has a reason and a plan. And part of that reason and plan is that I'm going to be able to use that someday for the future to help someone else. 
Amen. And if you can see that, it, it's really, it's, it's, I wouldn't say it's impossible to, I mean, obviously it could be, but it's almost impossible to get bitter about any situation. When you, when you can look at it from the perspective of God and understand, you know, I, I remember, you know, it's, it's an illustration or story that we probably all heard, but it is, to me, it's so fitting. It's that little boy that's playing on the ground and his grandma's doing whatever those grandmas do, the needle point or whatever it is. And she's on the couch and she's, and he looks up at her and all he sees is a mangled piece of mess of thread makes absolutely zero sense. And he looks up and says, what are you doing, grandma? And she says, oh, don't worry. Just keep playing. I'll show you in a little bit. And he keeps playing for a little while and he looks back up. And he says, grandma, what are you doing? It makes no sense. It, it, it's all, it's colluded. It's jumbled. It's all crossing. Just nothing looks right. Oh, just wait, just wait. And then finally grandma says, here, come up here. And when the little boy gets up and looks at it from her perspective, it's no longer confusion. It's no longer a mess. It's a beautiful picture of a sunrise. And the same thing is true in our life. When we look up and we say, oh, this makes no sense. Why am I going through this? What, is, what could pot? God is saying, well, just wait. Mm-hmm. Come and look at it from my perspective and see what a masterpiece I'm creating for you in your life. And if we can get that and not be on the ground looking up, but start out looking and watching him. You know, I don't know if you ever, you know, I forget who the guy's name was, but there was a guy that used to paint on like PBS. You know, he'd paint uh, like these Bob Ross or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, that guy. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and it's to me, it was, you know, I never really watched a lot of that, but sometimes it would come on and that when I was a kid, I would watch it. And it always fascinated me and kind of almost see like what he's going to do next. You know, mm-hmm. watch how a picture takes place from him just using some brush strokes. And you think, oh, I could do that. And you can't. But, <laughs> uh, but it's amazing to watch a picture be formed. And why not get in that position with God? to where you can see from his perspective from the start right? and how much more exciting it would be to know, okay, I, I don't know what he's doing with this little triangle looking thing that he's putting here, but I know it's going to be amazing. And in the end you get to see, and you think, wow, he took it from there to there. Right. And to know that God does that in our lives every single day, that he took it from this situation that may not be good. It may be good, but it may not but know that he works in and with everything else and produces a masterpiece for each and every one of us. I'm the one special. I'm not, I'm not of any unique thing that God's doing it for everybody. It's just for some reason, God showed it and allowed me to see it. So perspective. Yes, sir. That's, that's, that's big. I, 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 as you probably have seen, I clip out some, you know, clips and things for people that that might not watch the whole hour and 15 minutes or whatever. Um, But I'm not sure how I clip out, just the minute, 45 <laughs> minutes or so but no, no in all seriousness I, I think just share it just say basically just watch this whole thing just you just got to watch the whole thing um but it man like you said nothing and you know i'm saying this nothing special you you got is just giving you a glimpse just a little behind the curtain that most of the rest of us don't necessarily get to see but if we thought about it god's just as good to us yeah you know, we just got exactly perspective. You just got to realize um, how do you want to see it? Is it always problems or is it just the goodness of God in all things, man? Any, any last words, any, any thing you you need to get off your chest that maybe just completely off topic or on topic or or anything you need to say to your your teens. Maybe they're in the youth group there, Dwight, maybe they're just knuckleheads and they need their, 
need slapped around a little bit, whatever you want to say. Get your stuff done for convention. That's what I want to tell them. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I won't ask, I won't ask you to like, name names. Like the youth did when he was a teenager. <laughs> oh, no, I'm just kidding. No, they're great kids. And uh, I love what I do. And uh, God is, he's so good, you know, and um, he has blessed me so much. And I'm excited about the future. You know, I'm excited about what, what the next step is, you know, what, what is, what's the next, what's the next thing around the corner? What's the next, which brush is he picking up and what is he about to paint? And, um, you know, I'm excited about the future of my kids, you know, what, what they're going to do for God. And I'm just begging God that they will do something for him and follow his will. And really that's, that's the key. You know, the, the key is doing God's will and doing God's will and getting that perspective. You'll see some amazing things in your life. You really will. And uh, that, that'd be the challenge I would give, I guess, to, you know, young people or anyone listening. Find God's will and do it. And uh, you'll never, you'll never regret it for a minute. God's will is incredible. It's more than we could ever dream. We in our finite minds can't put together what God can put together for our lives. If we just yield to him, he'll blow us away every single time. He's amazing. There you go. Well, I well, think... I think- I think you gave me something great to clip out right there. The last minute or so, that'll be good. I can just clip out everything. It was kind of like, uh, and I'll be done with this, but I am talking to brother Houston. It was like, basically I asked a question and then just clip out everything he said after that question. And then right after that, but man, I appreciate it. That was helpful, helpful to me. And it will be helpful to me. Amen. Well, stick around for just saying it. I'd like to talk to you for just saying it more. If I can, if you got the time, this has been Mike McCurry live number 18 with Austin Marriott. You can catch it on YouTube, Facebook, Twitch, Twitter, Periscope. If that don't light your fire, your wood's wet. If that was a blessing to you, then spread the blessing around. Share it with somebody that might need that. God's good all the time, and it's no more evident than in this podcast. Thank you so much for listening. We'll catch you on the next one.